name is Dan. I'm a leader here at Grace Fellowship. Happy to be with you this morning on Easter. I think this might be my first Easter sermon. Preaching, not attending. <clears throat> Clear that up for you guys. We're in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. It's about 80% near the back. We've been taking a bit of a break from our sermon series through Mark. And uh, you might have noticed if you've been coming during that that we've been talking a lot about being last. So we live to serve, we're last here, and we're first later. That's our reward. A reward is later and it's bigger. Today, I, I thought I'd talk about that reward for a little while because it actually has a lot to do with Easter. In fact, you might say it has everything to do with Easter. We're going to be looking at 1 Corinthians, and 1 Corinthians, what's funny about that is it's a letter from a leader named Paul to a really messed up church. It's a church that you probably, if you attended, you'd think, yeah, they're not going to heaven. But uh, Paul, as he works through in the letter, he works through all their issues. He actually calls them brothers. He gives them hope. And he patiently works through all their stuff. And then near the end of the letter, he tells the church about the reward that we're going to talk about this morning. And if they're in Christ, they get that reward, and so do you. It's the resurrection of our bodies. So as we look at 1 Corinthians, we're going to be in chapter 15. And what we're going to see is Paul's going to begin with a mystery. And I'd like to think that even if you're a Christian, it's still kind of a mystery, even if you know what the answer is. And the mystery is that death is powerless. And then Paul continues with the reality or the reason why death is powerless. And it's because Jesus is all-powerful. And then finally, he concludes with an application. It's a call to work hard, knowing that the work you do now isn't in vain. And that same promise is true for us, because I don't know about you guys, but I'm pretty tired of sin. Are you? I'm tired of sin. I'm tired of my sin. I'm tired of your sin. <laughs> I'm tired of sinning. I'm tired of wanting to sin. I'm tired of wanting to want to sin. And Paul says there will be a day when that will be all done. So I'm going to walk through the first section of this, and I'm going to tell you all about this mystery and why it's true. Then in the second section, I'm going to tell you how it's true. And then in the last section, I'm going to tell you what you should do in response to that. Let's pray. Dear God, I thank you so much for for Easter. Lord, it's a celebration of you. It's a celebration of the fact that death couldn't hold you. It's the fact that they buried you in vain. We thank you that the same is true for us. Amen. So let's talk about the mystery. The mystery is that death is powerless. I'm going to read verses 50 through 55 of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Paul writes this. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable and this mortal body must put on immortality 
when the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Let's just pause on that first verse for a minute because it's actually going to give us a lot of context, especially if you're a visitor here. Verse 50 says, Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor can the perishable inherit the imperishable. And some people, if you've watched a lot of television, or particularly bad television, some people interpret flesh and blood can't inherit as we won't get bodies in heaven. We'll just be kind of floating around. I don't know if you've ever heard that one. That's not what Paul is saying, and I'll explain why in a few minutes. But for now, what's meant by flesh and blood can't inherit is a, is a simple truth of the Christian faith. It's that you can't, by natural human flesh and blood, means get into heaven. And if you've come here for more than 10 minutes, you should probably know that. Most churchgoers know this. We've got, we get uh, new spirits in broken, sinful bodies. That's what we have now. And so what happens after we die? In light of that, here's the mystery. It's in verse 51. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. The mystery is that we will all be changed. Now, some of us will not sleep. If you're in college, you know what it's like to not sleep. If you have kids, you know what it's like not to sleep, right? Again, that's, that's actually not what Paul's talking about. Um, some of us will not sleep as in, some people will be alive when Jesus comes back. But even the ones who are called dead will actually raise up, so it's as though they're merely asleep. If you die and then you're not, it's, you might as well have been asleep. Didn't win. So we're dead one moment, and then in the blink of an eye, we're not. And that's a big mystery. And I might add, that's even a big mystery if you're a Christian. Because when you look around and you consider your natural mind or you just go through life, doesn't it seem like death has a final victory? Let me illustrate this with an example from my life, and it involves Easter. When I was a kid, one of the happiest memories was Easter dinner at my grandparents' house. You guys ever did anything like that? We'd have egg hunts in the backyard and the earth kind of warmed up. Everything was starting to come alive. We would take our dress shoes off and run around in the grass. Even the adults. It's great. And the family was all together and we were all happy. And none of the harsh realities of adulthood had set in for me yet. But then time passed. As I grew up, we got too old for egg hunts. Stop doing those. And the family started to fracture a little bit here and there. My grandparents got frail. They moved out. Then over the past few years, they both died. Now when I think back to that happy memory, something changed. It fades a little bit every year. Sometimes it's actually unhappy. It can be painful. Because death won, right? That story might not mean a lot to you depending on your upbringing. But I want you to bear with me for a moment and linger on what's going on underneath that. So breathe in the phrase, death wins. 
Pretend that memories are all you have. Think back to all the good times you had. And just think, that's it. We're done. I get old and then I die. Have you ever done that? Done that today, maybe? Because that's how the world has to try and get by every day. If you don't know who Jesus is, that's your day. Try to make happy memories. Try to keep them as long as you can. And then they fade. But Paul answers that right here. And he says, no, that's not what happens. If you're in Christ, death does not win. It loses. In fact, it has no power. Not even over our fallen bodies, our bodies that are tired and sick. And look at Paul's next words, because I want to pick back up that spirits floating in heaven comment for a minute. Just give you a bit more hope. Paul says in verse 52 that the dead will be raised. He says raised. Not just raised. He says, your body, as he continues in verse 53, puts on immortality and is imperishable. Your body, which can be taken out if you eat a potato chip wrong, can be death. Really? That's what he's saying. In other words, you keep the body you have now, but it lasts for eternity. Let's go bigger. This means that if you get burned at the stake for Jesus and your ashes blow from here to Alaska, when Jesus returns, all those ashes collect back together. That's what this is saying. If you die of old age, your frail body, which at this point may not even be able to stand up, will stand up. That's what this verse is saying. Does that sound crazy to you? You think you might get laughed at if you share that anywhere? But when you think about it, it's actually not that crazy. If you believe that God made people out of nothing, that he made people out of dirt, when he comes back, all he's doing is moving that dirt around a little more. That's all he's doing. But guess what? If that still seems crazy to you, it's okay. Paul's actually in agreement with you. Paul, who probably knows more about the Old Testament than everybody here put together, is in agreement with you, if you're a little confused by that. That's why in verse 53 he says, this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and yet just three verses earlier, you might have caught it in verse 50, he wrote, the perishable can't put on the imperishable. That might sound contradictory a little bit, right? Something can't. No, actually it must. In a way it is contradictory, but the only reason it's contradictory is because our minds are so small. It's like being trapped underground for your whole life. Just imagine that's you. 
and all you know is darkness. And then one day you see sunlight it's cutting through a little hole. And you run home and you try to explain that to everybody. And they say, daylight? What is that? And they might even make fun of you for it. They might call you crazy. But you know it's real. You've seen it. And you can't wait to live there. You know that it's there. The mystery of resurrection is like that. It's crazy to people, but at the same time, it's true. But if you're not always thinking about it, it's real easy to forget when all you see is darkness. So it's crazy, but it's true. That's the mystery. But why is it true? It's true because of the next verse, verse 55, because this mystery is actually the fulfillment of a great promise that God made. Death is swallowed up in victory. This was a promise quoted from the book of Isaiah, which itself was a promise made back in Genesis. In Genesis, God said that he would make things right and defeat the curse on mankind, part of which included death. And so Isaiah echoed that promise from Genesis many years later, and about 800 years before Paul would echo it here in 1 Corinthians, and about 2,000 years after that, I'm echoing it this morning. It's because we need to be reminded. But the promise was made back in Genesis. Who made that promise? Did Paul make it? Was he trying to encourage a sad church by telling them a lie? Was Isaiah, did he make that promise? No. God made that promise. In other words, that's why this promise is true. Because God made it. In fact, because of that, it's so trustworthy that you don't even have to fully get it to believe it. So we can face even death knowing that it's not going to win in the end. Even if it's looming right now. Even if it's all you can think about right now. And if that sounds familiar, if that scenario sounds familiar, facing death even though knowing it won't win, it should sound familiar because that's a picture of Jesus. And that's how this mystery is true. Point two in your outline, the reality is that Jesus is all-powerful. So Paul continues, he unravels the mystery. Let's read verses 56 and 57. He's saying this, O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul unravels a little bit more by quoting the book of Hosea. He switches up. He's talking about Isaiah, and he connects it to a, a book called Hosea, which, like Isaiah, is about the hope of God's eventual restoration. It's more echoing of the promise. So he writes that death has no victory and death has no sting. But then Paul seemingly changes the subject. 
And we get 20 minutes of Easter sermon and say, well, now you're talking about sin. I was going to get away with it for a week. But Paul clarifies that the sting is sin, and what gives sin power is the law. Looks like he's trying to complicate things. Now, go read Romans if you want to fully wrap your mind around Paul's words here. You want to fully get the grasp of it. But for now, here are the basics of what Paul is saying. Our failure to keep God's law is why death had victory in the first place. So the reason death even existed was because of us. All Paul's doing is just leveling the ground. He's reminding his readers that the problem, like the hopeful promises of God, originated back in Genesis. Adam and Eve broke God's law, and mankind kind of limped on ever since. Guess what else happened? Our work was in vain. So we work hard and then we die. That's that's Genesis, the curse in a nutshell. And so it would seem that death has the last laugh. But then Jesus came. See, so he connects back to the law. What he did was he kept God's law perfectly. And then he took our rightful place on the cross, and so God accepted his work. So he beat the power of death, he was raised, and he passed that victory on to us. And so Paul writes in verse 57, But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. This statement distances Christianity from every other religion, or even the lack of religion. Because every other religion either says nothing comes after death or if something does, what you do determines whether or not you get in or if it even applies to you. And then there's a bunch of other religions that are just kind of off to the side. They don't even touch on that. and I won't bother. But here's the thing. The, distant, the difference with Christianity is that Jesus did the earning. We didn't. That's why Paul, himself being relentlessly persecuted at the time, wrote this letter to such a messed up church. And it's why you, no matter your sins, no matter how tired you are, you can actually have hope. And the hope is this. It's because while you embraced sin, and while you try to cheat death, or just pretend it doesn't exist, Jesus was without sin and yet walked to the cross to die. You get that? You ran to sin and you ran from death. Jesus ran from sin and he ran to death. He solved both of the problems that he caused. So when I say Jesus is all-powerful, that's what I mean. The sins that cause death to your body and they cause sin are removed by Christ. Meaning that while he has not yet returned, though your spirit is renewed, you still live in that old body. Sorry. And it breaks. And it gets tired. 
and you struggle against sin. You struggle to struggle against sin. And it seems like death wins if you forget about Jesus. But death won't win. God made that promise. And again, since Jesus himself promises that, you can embrace the mystery, even if it blows your mind. Because it's not about your ability, it's about his. But the good thing is this. Because when he says, you know, death has no victory, no sting, um, he's actually speaking in the, the present tense. And in a sense, we do taste a little bit of that victory right now. And it's found in how all these promises apply to our work. That's your third point. You can actually work hopefully. So you can't just, you don't just smile and say things will be good. You can say, I can trust in those promises now and get moving. Here's the last verse. Work hopefully. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. In other words, your work has meaning. That's like the curse of Genesis reversed. You toil, but it's not in vain. Do you get that? Paul used the word toil. And if you're working, you know what I'm talking about. But he says it's not in vain. That seems crazy. Doesn't it seem vain sometimes? Try to start a Bible study, nothing. Try to invite your friend to Easter service, airball, wouldn't show up. Seems in vain, right? Trying to raise your kids hard. Seems in vain. Trying to serve Jesus, trying to figure out what you're going to do with yourself. Seems in vain. It seems vain. I work for the state. I've seen it. I've seen vain work. But here's why it has meaning. It has meaning because Jesus' work had meaning. And he's working in you. It gave life. And so Jesus has sent us, after making us disciples, to go and make disciples. And that's hard. Again, Paul still uses the word toil. But then, we're still called to be steadfast because Jesus was. We're called to be immovable because Jesus followed his marching orders to the cross. And we're called to always abound in work because Jesus was always abounding in work. Because these words are not just about you finding meaning for your work. Sometimes we just want the meaning. It's about obedience to the Lord even when you can't even quite get the meaning. You work even, even though it seems crazy because you're obedient. So keep those three applications in mind. We're going to hit on them in just a minute. For now, I'd sum it up. John Piper says this. When Christ died, he forgave sin and fulfilled the law and defeated death and obtained not just your soul, but your body. Therefore, God will honor the work of his son by raising your body from the dead and you will use your body to glorify him forever and ever. That is why you have a body now. And that's why it will be raised imperishable. So in other words, your work to honor God now 
is just practice for eternity. That's what you're doing. So if you're in Christ now, be steadfast, be immovable, always abounding in work now. One quick application for each, and I'm going to tie them back to earlier points. First is be steadfast. Anybody know the word steadfast? It's not used too much. Endure. It's basically what it means. Endure. So the pain and suffering you experience now, obstacle to that, think about all the pain and suffering you've experienced in your life. What have you got to measure that against? Nothing. You've been here 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70 years, and that seems like everything to you, because it is. So to you, you think, endure? That's what I've been doing for my whole life. How can I endure? How do you be, how, how are you steadfast? What you have to do is you have to think about the future in order to be steadfast now. Here's what that means. Consider 70 years of suffering now. Think about 70 years. If you're 35, you're halfway there. If you're 70, great. If you're 80, bonus points, awesome. You've got it, you're lapping. If you're like 20, you know, multiply that out. Consider 70 years of suffering here in light of eternity there. So 70 years, eternity. Arms aren't big enough, sorry. Which one seems bigger? That's what you have to do. You have to think about eternity if you're going to be steadfast now. And if all you're thinking about is now, you're just going to grasp and grasp and grasp, and it's going to seem like all you're doing is suffering. And it's going to seem like there's no hope because you're looking at earth. So fix your eyes on what is to come when you struggle with right now. So fix your eyes on what is to come when you struggle with right now. In other words, all you're doing when you're doing that is you're remembering point one. Death is powerless. In light of that, when that's in your mind, you can actually flip the world upside down by being old or being sick and yet being full of life. You ever, you ever seen somebody like that? They're older, they're sick, and they're, they're praising God. And people are like, what? How do you do that? They're thinking about Jesus. Or it means your body can be persecuted and that's okay. You don't got to sue him back. You have to fight him. However time or the world destroys your body, you're going to get it back in perfect condition. What can they do to you? So that's the first one. Be steadfast. Second one is be immovable. And I'll liken that to this. Be stubborn when it comes to the truth of the gospel. Be stubborn. Some of you guys are like, I got that down. I can be stubborn. Now, focus on agreement with other believers. Don't get me wrong. Don't go starting a war over infant baptism or something like that. But know the absolutes of God's word and stick to them. Things like, Jesus is God. Might want to stick to that one. The Bible is true. 
might want to stick to that one. We will be raised. Might want to stick to that one. Your time in God's Word is crucial here. Your time studying under God's Word and studying with other believers and studying privately is absolutely crucial here. How well you know the Bible is whether or not you get moved or you do the moving. How well you know the Bible is the difference between you shaping the culture around you or the culture shaping you. If you don't, you're going to get shaped. And you know what? It won't even be obvious. You'll get old. Your body will stop working and you'll be like, why is this happening? And you forget Jesus is raised and you'll despair and you'll crumble. It's not obvious. Time's just going to happen. So, fight now. Know God's word. Because as you get older, it's going to get harder to fight if you don't fight now. But you can always start now. And as you grow in those two applications, the third one will follow. Always abound in the work of the Lord. Always abound in the work of the Lord. Now, it's kind of hard to even sum this up in an application because the work of the Lord is huge. You can do it really in any way possible, just about. But I'm just going to stick to this. Just focus on the phrase, work of the Lord, if you'd like good marching orders. And I say that because spotting a lazy person is really easy, isn't it? In fact, you ask them to, to meet about it, and they say no. And laziness is evidence of some dangerous red flags. Don't get me wrong. So if you're lazy, obviously, there's some harsh words there for you. But I want to talk about the other group for a minute because sometimes we equate busy people with godly people, don't we? They can't even rest, you know? Always tired, always behind. Don't get me wrong, the Lord had plenty to do, didn't he? He had crowds. He sometimes gave up rest. But you know what? Sometimes the work of the Lord was the rest. He actually left people, very needy people, and he went and he prayed and he rested. So if that's you, if you're always behind, you never seem caught up on the to-do list, I would actually encourage you, as crazy as this sounds, to clear some room in your schedule. I know that sounds crazy. Meet with people wiser than you and rest. But always abound in the work of the Lord. And more broadly, it looks like this. Abound in the work of the Lord by doing the first two things. Always be steadfast. Always be immovable. That really depends on how you rest. Sometimes it's so easy for us to wait for us to rest in ways that we think are godly, but we're really just shutting our brains off. So really, consider the ways you're resting. Consider the ways you're resting today. If you have kids, try to rest. Does that sound kind of like hopeful, but kind of not? Because you're like, oh, but the crazy stuff is still there. Right? I'm still going to get sick. Still going to die. You know, all the difficulties of the fall still remain before this sermon and after this sermon. 
You know why? It's toil. See, you already forgot. <laughs> it's toil. But here's the point. In Christ, we have victory over sin and death so we can toil, hopefully. We can serve now. We can be last now, knowing that we're not going to be last later. And here's the hope. One day, if you're in Christ, they're going to bury you, and they're going to bury you in vain. That song actually applies to you, too. They'll bury you in vain. And if you're in Christ, your body one day is going to last forever. You're not going to sin anymore. Isn't that crazy? You're not going to want to sin. You're not going to want to want to sin. And everybody you reach by toiling in vain, well, they're going to last forever too. All the bodies you reach with the gospel. And the hope of that is that because of your hard work, here's why it's not in vain, because Jesus sent you, and as a result, the great crowd around the throne of heaven is actually going to be all the greater because of the work that you do. You can help bring people to Christ. You can help make the party bigger. And it will be the Easter celebration that never fades away. Let's pray. Dear God, it's just so tiring to work sometimes. It's so easy to think how vain it is. Every time we're reminded of our own sin, every time we're reminded of the sin of other people, every time we're just reminded of the fallen state of the world, you know, we just get sick and we get old. Not because anybody sinned, just because it's where we live. It's just so tiring sometimes. You know what, Lord? Would you help us to be driven to the cross by that? Would you help us to remember that as we get tired and as we get sick and as we're wronged and as our children are wronged and as our friends are wronged and as we get tired, Lord, would you help us to remember you? Would you help us to be steadfast? Would you help us to be immovable, believing your word? Would you help us to be always abounding in the work of the Lord? Lord, would you help us to be like the church of Corinth? Even if we're messed up, even if by the world's standards we're a train wreck, would you help us to remember that we are brothers and sisters to people like Paul? And that even as we read elsewhere, Jesus is not ashamed to call us brothers and sisters. So, Lord, would you remind us of that? Would you remind us of it, not just on days when things are sunny and nice and we're on egg hunts and the family's all together. Lord, would you remind us of that when we get old and our family splits up and people die? Would you help us to remember that that will not always be so? Amen.